You're listening to an Uptown Audio production. Hi, I'm Brandon Mitchell, and I'm the network manager of Uptown Audio, UNC Charlotte's student-ran podcast network. If you enjoy the show, you should follow us on social media at Uptown Audio and tell your friends about us. We're just starting as a network, and every little bit helps. Thanks for listening. For Uptown Audio News, I'm Max Young. Starting on March 30th, Governor Roy Cooper ordered a statewide stay-at-home order to prevent the further spread of the coronavirus. Although the lockdown has been successful at reducing the number of those infected, it has displaced millions of workers and students. In this episode, we will look at the response to the transition to online classes, future of UNC Charlotte housing and local businesses, as well as how students abroad dealt with returning home. First, Jacob Cranfield and Audrey Walls share how students and professors are dealing with online classes. As government lockdowns forced college classes to be held online, professors have had to suddenly adapt their lessons and assignments to fit the new medium. It has shifted the dynamic between professor and student and has added to the stress of both parties. We reached out to two UNC Charlotte professors, Dr. Samantha Fur-Rogers and Professor Mary Jo Shepard. To help her students in this transition, Fur-Rogers has attempted to keep her classes consistent with the schedule to which her students are accustomed. Although student-teacher interaction has dropped with the move to online learning, Fur-Rogers says that her students have continued to complete their assignments despite the circumstances. I had some, some previous experience both designing online courses and teaching them. I, I did a lot of the workshops that were offered at some of my previous institutions and here at UNCC. We have a wonderful center for teaching and learning that is really supportive to the faculty. So I've taken a lot of courses in that. And when I do my classes, I put all of my resources on Canvas anyways. I know that not everyone does that, but I try to make it to where, you know, if you miss class, you could, you could easily follow along online anyways. You can go onto Canvas and you can see the lecture, the assignments are there, all that fun stuff. So, so for me, I feel like it was relatively, I'm not going to say painless, but just the, the actual physical part of like putting stuff online, that part was easy for me. The, the biggest part that I'm having issues with is just, you know, lacking that face-to-face interaction with my students. Due to the challenges posed by that lack of student-teacher interaction, Fur Rogers says that her goals for her classes have adjusted. So for me, a lot of it is, is about the, the lack of interaction because I, I love teaching. I love seeing my students and talking to them and hearing their you know, opinions and, and answering their questions in class. So for me, that's, that's a big difficulty. I don't like that. <laughs> but again, you know, coming from the student's perspective, how are, how are you guys able to create and maintain community you know, when you have this new virtual world where you're not sitting in class with your classmates? You know, how do we, the engagement process there? That's, that's the biggest change for me. And then the other part is sort of approaching it from when I'm trying to prepare my class, I have to think about it in terms of it's no longer really about your grade, honestly, to me. It's not about, you know, how well can you do on this exam? For me, it's like, how do I adapt my course so it's what you need most during, like, this moment in history? So it's, it's very different than the way I would prepare an online course for, you know, a course that's supposed to be online. I've, I've tried to keep my courses very consistent with what we've been doing in person. So for me, it was kind of, it was all about trying to keep it on the same schedule. You know, every week we had a lecture on Tuesday. So I recorded a lecture and then there was a class activity that I planned for Thursday. 
we did um, the WebEx meetings for questions and, and a lot of times they turn into like more of a pet talk, which is totally okay. I try to send announcements. I send announcements every day. So I'm trying my best to keep my side of the interaction going because, you know, my classes are very much based on participation and peer interactions. So I've tried to just kind of keep that same vibe. It's much harder. I will say that. I encourage my students to, to FaceTime or do a Google Meet while they're working on their class activities. We, we've played Kahoot in WebEx. Obviously, recording a lecture without the student interactions and the questions is, you know, it goes a lot faster, <laughs> but it's also much less fun. I miss yeah. having the students there. And I know that, you know, that that lack of like lecture interaction has definitely changed, you know, the way that they approach the course. And when I do have the the live WebExes, about half the class attends. So there are certainly some people who don't, and that's okay because everyone is, you know, everyone's got different challenges. You know, maybe they can't make it to a WebEx at 1030 in the morning because they've got to help their kids with school. I get it. So for me, you know, I will say that everyone has still been doing the work. I've only had a few students who have not. So, so they're still doing the work. It, it might not just be as interactive as I like it to be, which is okay. Aside from the challenges of being a professor during these unprecedented times, Fur Rogers also has to balance being a mother of three. It, it has been difficult for me, which is one reason why I think I'm so sympathetic for my students, because I know how it is. I have three kids, so and they're all young. One of them is six. I had a three-year-old who just turned four last week, and then I have an 11-month-old. They're not in school. Obviously, they've got homeschooling to do. My husband is an essential worker, so he's still going to work. So it's just me at home with them, kind of doing their homeschooling, doing my work, just, you know, keeping them alive in general. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been difficult. You know, I've had meetings with students where I've been on a Zoom call and like, all of a sudden I hear screaming children in the background, you know, I'll be recording a lecture and my daughter will run in and be like, Oh, Hey mommy, I'm hungry. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's almost comical. Sometimes it's like, I just let it go though, because for me, it's important that my students see that I'm human too. And that I understand, you know, we all have the same challenges, honestly. So I just let it go. I'm like, you know what? Sorry. Those are my children. I get it. <laughs> for Rogers says that even though things are messy now, she hopes that professors learn from the semester to better teach, support, and engage with students during future semesters, whether or not those are held online. You know, I have several thoughts on this. One of them that worries me is that this is going to turn out to be a not so great experience of online learning for a lot of people, and they're never going to want to do it again. That being said, I, I find that there is value in online learning if it's, you know, done correctly, but, but you know... Nobody signed up for this, right? The faculty didn't sign up for it. The students didn't. Um, and there's lots, like so many other things going on during this situation, not so much related to schooling, you know, anxiety, tension. All of this is kind of all just meshed up into a big ball, a big emotional reaction to the situation. So, you know, for me, I don't want everyone to associate that with online learning. And I hope that they, that they know that it can still be really good. And I know that the faculty is, is doing their best. I've seen faculty at, at our institution and beyond just really considering their students and thinking about how challenging the situation is for them and really trying to build an educational environment that's centered around community, generosity, empathy, flexibility. And I hope this lasts. I hope this is the thing that lasts. Faculty being more conscious than ever of the need to, to do that. And also, you know, another thing, switching gears a little bit, I hope that this really brings to light the challenges and the inequities that 
students face during learning. Not everyone has the same opportunities. So I hope that in the future, courses will be adapted to take equitable and inclusive access into consideration, whether it's you know a free textbook or providing a recorded lecture even um, after you do the in-class lecture. You know, e even for myself, I have some of these issues. I live out in the middle of nowhere. I live on a farm and we have satellite internet. So for me, if it rains, I can't get online, <laughs> you know, and I, and so like, I hope that that's something that more and more faculty are seeing is that, you know, our students face these problems and we can, we can address those. We can work together with them to sort of, again, emphasize that empathy and flexibility into our syllabi. Professor Mary Shepard has been teaching in the political science department for several years. Shepard says that the political science department has been accustomed to administering courses virtually due to their previous experiences with creating online summer courses. This made the department better suited for the abrupt transition than many others. Well, for me, it wasn't hard because in re really in the political science department, I think we're kind of blessed in that way, in the way that we've done all our summer courses online for the last few years. So us have like some experience teaching summer classes online. And so when you have to transition really quickly, it's not like a, it's not like the unknown, right? I mean, we kind of, it's kind of a known quantity. And so it wasn't that hard. Um, for some people, it was a little bit harder to figure out, like, how do you do a research methods lab online? You know, and so it was hard to figure those kind of technicalities out. But for the most part, if you're just teaching a class online, you either do Zoom or WebEx, which we had to learn those things. Um, but Canvas was actually pretty easy to just dump all your, your coursework in there and just go with it. Although Shepard had been experienced with teaching online, many professors had to take a university-ran crash course on how to transition from in-person classes to using software like Zoom, WebEx, and Canvas. Shepard says that it was a mixture of resources provided by the university and camaraderie among professors that made the transition possible. I think it was over spring break that we started getting messages from the Centers for Teaching and Learning. We have a center on campus. It's this, it's called CTL. It's the Centers for Center for Teaching and Learning. And they help us with all that stuff. And so we started getting emails from them and said, look, we're gonna have these classes and we're gonna teach you like really quick how to do Zoom, how to do WebEx, how to do Canvas, like how to, because some professors don't even use Canvas or don't use a learning management system at all. Um, mm -hmm. Like you have to learn this really, really fast. Um, they were really proactive about getting us the training that we needed very, very quickly. And everybody kind of helped one another too. You know, I mean, we have these sessions in the hallway and stuff like that. Um, and so to help each other out, to, to get it online as fast as possible. And I mean, really within like what, three or four days we were online, you know, it's the kind of um, the downside to all this, you know, the technology, you can deal with all that. But I think the, the thing about teaching that we all love, I mean, is you get in front of a classroom and you get to have this kind of conversation or this engagement with students, you get to see and hear students' ideas and you can kind of collaborate and that's what's missing. So um, from our perspective, it's like, eh, you know, the, the teaching online is a, is a temporary fix to this problem, but it doesn't really get you the kind of learning we like to do and the like kind of teaching we like to do. Like I really like talking to students and standing in front of a classroom and having this kind of ongoing conversation about 
political science and topics and stuff. So um, that's the kind of stuff we don't get to do that I really, really miss. So that is the stuff I can't wait to get back to. Similarly to Dr. Fur Rogers, Shepard says that a major drawback to online learning is a lack of student-teacher interaction and community engagement. You know, university is supposed to be a place where people can bring ideas and questions together to get get kind of common answers or kind of work through the problems together. And if you don't have that, you're not really doing that. You're just, we're just giving you information and you're feeding it back to us. But it's not that kind of interactive atmosphere that we really like. Shepard has developed a clever system to balance her work as a professor and her role as a mother. I have two kids in college and I have a senior in high school. And so they're all here. And so we kind of put sticky notes all over the house saying, you know, I'm taking a test now or I'm, I have class now, you can't come in here. So we're just kind of balancing it that way. You know, I'm really lucky that I don't have like really little kids that need constant attention. So they're kind of self-sufficient and they can deal with it on their own. But it's more of a balance of rooms and time and Internet access. Shepard is hopeful that with the right precautions taken, the university can go back to in-person operations by the fall semester. We need to go back because we can't just stay at home for two years, right? I mean, until there's a vaccine, we have to actually live our lives. So I think that we can go back and just take precautions. I mean, I kind of think of it after the shooting last year, you know, we went and we took precautions, right? And we figured out how to live with this kind of new normal. So I think go back into classrooms and just make sure that their classrooms are cleaned and that students can have space to spread out in a classroom if they need to. And, you know, if a student is sick or um, is in a vulnerable population, they, those students might need some extra accommodations. We just kind of have to think about it that way. But, it, you know, you can't have a university without having students actually there, I don't think. I think we really need to be back. And, it, I mean, from the modeling that's coming out, I think that we'll probably be okay. I'm not scared to go back. I mean, I'm like, let's go. You know, we got to figure it out sometime. We might as well do it this fall. Dr. Fur Rogers and Professor Shepard were asked to end their interview with a closing bit of advice for students and professors during this pandemic. Although the two answers varied in nature, both were optimistic in their respective way. My advice would be to sort of acknowledge your feelings about this whole situation, whether you know, you're know you anxious or perhaps you're not, but either way, your feelings are valid. We're all learning as we go along, me, you, the rest of the faculty, the rest of the students. And, and one thing I try to, you know, in my announcements to my students, I always say something like, you know, go take a nap, go outside, read a book. You know, this is a really unique experience for our lifetime. We are, we're not expected to know how to manage it. You know, in order to be your best self, you have to be kind to yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. And, and I have a lot of students who are worried about what this means for their future. And so, like, what I want to say to that is that you're not going to get left behind. Again, we're all in this together. If you, if you take some time out of your day to read a book, it's okay. You don't have to learn a new language. You don't have to learn how to embroider. We're all sort of sort of plodding along like little wobbly toddlers. We're all learning. And so it's... it's it's going to be okay. That's just my best advice. You know, we are scientists, right? I mean, we have the science. And when we look at science and look at the numbers, and I think we can be reassured that even though it's a scary time and there's 
kind of these weird things happening around our country and our city. You know, we're smart people too. All of us have the human capacity to adapt and change change our behaviors to new realities. And we've been doing that for millennia. So I do it again. You know, I I just think we're smart enough to figure this out and not just hide in our homes and have to stay home constantly. I mean, we have to face those fears and and learn how to deal with it and be cooperative and kind of sympathetic to other to others as well. I'm Audrey Wallace. I'm Jacob Cranfill. Uptown Audio News. As students were asked to vacate their dorms by March 20th, there was some concern with how on and off campus residents will handle relocating as well as how the university will move forward. Reporter Audrey Wallace has the story. Housing is a pivotal part of being a student. Whether you live on campus, off campus, or commute from home, every student needs a place to live. This year, many students had to make sudden arrangements halfway through the spring semester as social distancing requirements intensified. UNC Charlotte processed approximately $14 million in refunds on university dining, housing, and parking on March 21st. The refund period will end on May 8th, with an exception to residents still remaining on campus. Follow Niner Notice emails for ongoing updates. The shutdown has had a large effect on off-campus students. Many have lost their jobs and still have to pay rent. As many college-age students are considered dependents, the stimulus package won't be extended to these students. I didn't get a dollar. That's sophomore Ellie Nanny, a resident at Millennium One Apartments. Although many students went home to quarantine with their families, several stayed to wait out the social distancing restrictions. It's not a complete ghost town. I've actually noticed more students like outside, like just like walking their dogs and stuff than ever before. Student occupancy continues to grow and with it concern for how the university will handle that increase in residents if any social distancing measures are still in place. This is Audrey Wallace, Uptown Audio News. Charlotte is home to many small businesses left to fight for their survival during this quarantine. Madison Dobrinsky and Natalie Goretti feature the effects that COVID-19 has on Charlotte businesses. Starting a small business is a gamble in and of itself, no matter the circumstance. Local businesses have been impacted all over the country since the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus. Mid-March, Governor Cooper made the decision for restaurants to transition to takeout only going forward as to limit people gathering in crowded spaces and increasing the likelihood of spreading the virus. We were able to speak with Nikisha Flowers, owner of Coffee Cone Cafe, and she was kind enough to give us insight into how her business has fared amidst the pandemic. Good, how are you? Good, good. Good. Thank you so much for your willingness to talk to me. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, I guess. I'll, I'll you know, consider it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind just giving me a little bit of information, I know Coffee Cone, you guys cater to a specific kind of people and in particular, sometimes people that want to sit inside and study and that sort of thing. So I think it's probably really unique what you guys are trying to do right now. We, um, you know, we have a lot of college students. We also have, I'm working as I speak to you, so. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. No worries. Um, but we, um, we have a lot of 
uh, college student and you know like our employees had to go home we have a lot of our customers in general gone home we have a few that are still in town so you know they come by um we have takeout we have a takeout door right now mm-hmm. business is really slow really really slow but mm-hmm. coffee is essential so you know we've adjusted our hours to kind of catch the morning crowd on the weekends we stay a little bit later in case people are sneaking out for ice cream because you know we sell ice cream too so we've tried the loan assistance and i guess you know i guess our business is just too small you know we do everything on time but you know we're on a wait list so I, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but the way they're making it sound on TV is really not how it is for true mom and pop businesses. It's unfortunate, but I guess that's how everything is nowadays. You know, you say one thing and do another. But we try not to be that way. I mean, this is a really difficult time, I think, for everyone and especially local businesses and trying to get that loan money. So I guess another question would be, you did you employ any university students? We did. Okay, and was that a big a big group of people, or how did that change for you? Well, she um, one of the girls she she had to go home. Um, one of our other employees, she actually just graduated, so she's okay. still still here on the weekend. I mean, but I don't really have a need for them during the week because it's pretty slow. But our customers are awesome. Let me just say that they like go out of their way to come and support. They'll call in their orders. They'll uh, order online. Anything they can do to support, they're there, and we just love them so much. <laughs> That's really great. That makes like all the difference, right? <laughs> so I guess that my other question would be. You said, so I think you mentioned there were two girls you had that were with the university. They were university Mm -hmm. students. Well, one had to leave. So you didn't have to let anybody go. Right. I didn't actually have to let anyone go. Mom actually just came and got her. Nice. (laughs) Well, that's easy, right? It's easier. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, it's time to go home. Wow. It's so, such a crazy time. It is. What is next? That was going to be my next question, actually. It's been about a month since the governor said only take out. So what what are your prospects for the future? I'm just speaking from what I think. Nothing definitive, but the way it looks now, maybe it'll pick up once people are able to come out more. But I just don't want people to come out before it's too soon. I think everyone's health is a lot more important than coffee. We'll stay as long as we can. We'll be here as long as we can. When we can't anymore, it was a good run. It's really hard to get a to get a loan to pay back when you don't even know if you'll ever have it to pay back. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you accept that? We'll see. Due to the economic impact of coronavirus, many local businesses are struggling and feel as though they are moving through the dark on this one. The only option is to take things a day or week at a time as things are changing so frequently. According to the county website, Mecklenburg County has created a COVID-19 Small Business Emergency Stabilization Loan Fund and a Micro Business Stabilization Fund. The funds were created through the county's partnerships with Carolina Small Business Development Fund and Centralina Council of Governments. It seems that some businesses, depending on size, are still struggling to find stability and relief in these trying times, despite county efforts to provide financial support. On Tuesday, April 28th, the Harvey B. Gantt Center's YouTube channel went on YouTube Live to discuss information regarding Black small business owners in particular. County officials and a few business owners revealed that in addition to the difficulties experienced by nearly all local business owners at this time, the obstacles are amplified for business owners of color. 
Local businesses in the university area have an especially difficult time as a large portion of their workforce and customer base are university students, who of course are now taking classes online and are spread out across the state and country. For some business owners like Nakisha, this means they have not only lost some of their customer base, but also employees. In Nakisha's case, however, it may have been the best case scenario. She wouldn't have needed the help that her employee, who has now moved back home, would have provided. This is one of the more positive ways that this scenario could play out. But unfortunately, the more common narrative is the one where a hardworking student loses their job not on their terms. One such student, Sophie Rydell, spoke to us in an effort to paint the picture for how this has impacted her life. Rydell had been employed at a restaurant on the boardwalk, Firewater, for two years. The restaurant has closed indefinitely, and Rydell explained that the reasoning behind this could likely be that Firewater focused mostly on parties, events, and in-person atmospheres. Takeout only did not seem like a feasible option at the time. She remembers her bosses feeling lost and wondering what would come next. Rydell is currently without a job and is waiting on her unemployment claim to come through. Rydell is a senior at the university who is set to graduate in three weeks, and that is no longer happening. She finds it difficult to finish school and try to get everything in order for her degree while tackling the beast of unemployment. Her story is unfortunately not a unique one at this time. UNC Charlotte student Mattius Nelson also shared with us a similar experience. So when classes started moving online, about a week or so later is when I got laid off from the brewery and had to begin a job search. Trying to balance all of my classes online in a totally new way, with no real schedule, and figuring out what kind of job I was going to get was absolutely insane. I did end up finding a job inside of a bakery, inside of a grocery store, but it's nothing like I've ever done before. I was completely rushed through training with no real setup to it, and I'm still working about 40 hours a week with it with no real idea of how to do the job correctly and with six or seven classes a semester stressing out about that stressing out about working 40 hours in a job that I don't really know how to do all the way it's a little crazy right now hopefully things will start to clear up in the next couple weeks with finals and maybe learning how to do the job better but right now it is absolutely crazy our owners Todd and Susie Ford were they were pretty upset when their governor made the call to have the rest speed takeout only and you know breweries as well after a couple of weeks the first couple of weeks they tried to keep us paid for the hours that we were scheduled after the first couple of weeks of that it was not sustainable anymore and they had to lay off all taproom bartenders and I know that was one of the hardest calls that they both had to make they were really really upset about that there is a legitimate struggle to stabilize a local business at this time in the university area, and both business owners and working students alike are feeling it. It is now May, and at this point in time, many small business owners are hoping that they will eventually receive aid from the second round of federal stimulus funding. The Paycheck Protection Program is the loan program that started from the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, or CARES. This was created with the intent to provide American small businesses with federal loans. Information is changing often, leaving many people in the dark. There is a widespread feeling of uncertainty. Nationally, there has been discrepancy regarding whether or not the aid is going to small businesses that need it. Among the requirements to qualify for federal aid is the requirement that you have a maximum of 500 workers. According to data from the Washington Post, publicly traded companies employing much more than 500 workers have received a large portion of the funding meant for small businesses. Some such companies have returned their funding despite needing it because it had been specifically allocated to small businesses. On May 
1st, Senator Jeff Jackson tweeted to small business owners in North Carolina, we are going to create a sizable fund for small business loans to be administered by the Golden Leaf Foundation. It will have protections to make sure that actual small businesses will be the ones getting the loans. In addition, the City of Charlotte website, charlottenc.gov, has a list of resources for small businesses to get help during this time. As we have seen, COVID-19 has impacted UNC Charlotte and the surrounding community in many ways, including through local businesses and their student employees like Rydell and Snelson. As of now, the stay-at-home order for North Carolina expires on May 8th, and as the state slowly reopens, we are sure to see a change in business and employment at these small local businesses. We will be on the lookout for how this impacts UNC Charlotte's community and local businesses like Coffee Cone. I'm Natalie Goretti, and I'm Madison Dobrinsky, Uptown Audio News. As programs across the country are canceled, students abroad have to make difficult decisions regarding where they will be, whether to stay and isolate abroad or return to the United States. Here's reporter Audrey Wallace. As universities began to close in March, many students abroad had to cut their plans short due to social distancing regulations. Students fortunate enough to come home had to deal with isolating themselves from their families. Just like Ellie Harris, a student from Appalachian State University who studied abroad in Madrid, but due to specific circumstances, had an unconventional welcome home. I have a sister who's immunocompromised, and I was picked up at the airport by both of my parents. They drove two separate cars because my mom wanted to see me, but we weren't going to be able to touch or anything. And my dad drove my car, and I wore a mask while I was in the car. We washed my hands before I got in the car. He wore a mask, and then I went straight up to our attic, which is a finished attic. So I had the bathroom, I had a couch, and I had a TV. I'd text my family, and they would leave meals at the bottom of the stairs for me. And then every once in a while, I would be able to put on a mask and run downstairs straight out the front door and be up. But yeah, it was definitely difficult. It was a lot of alone time. Now, these students are questioning the preparedness of universities and programs as they return home. I was actually really frustrated with the communication from App State as well. But my parents just were trying to remind me that if the school prepared for a terrorist attack, weather occurrences, they didn't prepare for a pandemic. And so I tried to kind of be as patient with them as possible. But really, the only time we got actual information was after the president gave his national address. And that was when my program was pulled. Although some universities have not been refunding their students, Ellie's program reimbursed her flight and tuition abroad in Spain. I've been reimbursed for what I could, and they were very quick about that. Students from the United States are not the only individuals in foreign countries. Foreign exchange students at UNC Charlotte were also affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Some elected to stay on campus during the quarantine period if staying was the best choice. There's a Korean girl, and she left because it was they had to give them a notice to, to stay or leave by that Friday, and mm-hmm. she decided to leave. So within a couple of days, she was able to get a flight and go back home to Korea. And then there's another girl in my house who's still there right now because she couldn't go home yet, so she's waiting till the end of the semester to go back home. Katherine Goretzka, a UNC Charlotte junior that lives in the Global Gateways House in Greek Village. This program allows UNC Charlotte students to live with foreign exchange students and learn about the different cultures that reside there. As situations are changing, 
there are still students displaced in foreign countries, eager to get home. That's our show, and thanks for listening. Be safe and have a story-worthy week. Uptown Audio News is produced solely by UNC Charlotte students. We would like to thank network manager Brandon Mitchell for his help with script writing and editing, Max Young for hosting, script writing, and editing. Our reporters are Audrey Wallace, Jacob Cranfill, Madison Dobrinsky, and Natalie Goretti.